The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles now, if you would, and open them to Revelation chapter 3. Our study today is the final message to the church at Philadelphia. This is the church that we have called the Blessed Church because the Lord commended them and promised that He would give them greater opportunities for service. Philadelphia was a blessed church because they proved their worth to Christ through faithfulness to the Word, to their duty, to the Great Commission. And if there's a model for what we want our church to be, then the church at Philadelphia would be the one of the seven that Berean Baptist wants to be. Now, I'd like to read the text of this letter once again. And then today, we're going to veer off some in our discussion to a very important doctrinal issue concerning the last days when Christ returns for His church. And this is a a promise that's given in this letter that's critical to the anxious hope for Christ's return. So if you'll look in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 7, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works... Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now let's go back to verse number 10 for today's message. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, I want you to mark that phrase, I will also keep them from the hour of temptation. That is a very important promise, and it's a promise that looks forward to the day when the Lord returns to this earth to take the church out of the world, and also those that are believers, true believers in Jesus Christ, but they did not become members in the Lord's church. Now, in the last message, we ended by discussing the fourth part of our outline, and this was the opportunities for the church. When churches are faithful, when churches preach the word without reservation, when they keep 
the word as this church in Philadelphia did. And when they do not deny the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a, there is a blanket of protection that goes over the church. There's a hedge that becomes a barrier that Satan can't penetrate. In our study of the seven churches, we've seen that there were some that didn't keep the word. There were some of them that denied the Lord's name. And so Satan was busy tearing those churches apart. And the problems of these churches are emblematic of the condition of churches in all ages. and all times since the beginning of the church, these are problems that have existed because of a lack of faithfulness of God's people. There was a church at Ephesus that was doctrinally strong, but they lost their love of Christ. There was one in Smyrna experiencing persecution, and they withstood that test. But in Pergamos, there's another church, and they didn't do as well as they did in Smyrna because people there, some of them lost their faith or gave up when they were martyred for the faith. There was a church in Thyatira that looked as if many of today's churches could be its reincarnation. And I'm not teaching reincarnation today, that's just a phrase that I'm using. But they had a woman in leadership that, that convinced them of rank heresy, which looks much like churches today. There was a church in Sardis that was lazy and complacent and didn't watch to keep Satan from destroying them. And then there's this church in Philadelphia. A church that stood strong for the faith. They were just a small congregation, but they were very, very big in their influence. Now, unlike many others that compromised and they tried to avoid the scorn of the community because of their faith in Christ, they would not deny their Lord. And because they would not, the Lord promised that He would open greater doors of opportunity. Now, I hope in, in some way and somehow that we could see a church, somehow we could see a church in our day that meets that description. And I hope that the church is the Berean Baptist Church, and that we will stand strongly on the truth of the Word of God, no matter what our opposition, no matter what anybody says about us. So each of these seven churches were real. They were existing congregations in those days when the letters were written. And they were churches going through all these things that we've read about and spoken of. And then there are churches throughout history that have gone through the very same things. Churches will face the same problems in every age until Christ comes. And until he comes, the devil will continue his fight with his armies of demons. And he will attack the Lord's church from every angle, trying to tear the church apart, trying to get us to lay down our defenses against him. And he will continually attack our holiness until he finds a crack, a crack in our armor that he can exploit. Now, many churches through the ages gave in. They surrendered. And churches ceased to exist because they didn't hold out faithful and they wouldn't fight. But because the church as an institution has been promised the protection of the Lord and that it will continue, it has been promised survival, there's always going to be a true church in the world that is faithful. And churches in the past that were faithful planted seeds that grew into churches like Berean Baptist Church. But we've also got to remember that the threat is real, that unless 
true churches are vigilant, then they will become unfaithful churches. Every true church that failed was once a blessed church, but they're not a blessed church any longer. And so our duty is to keep Berean Baptist Church strong in the faith, to teach the next generation, to wait on the Lord until He returns and be ready when He returns. And so we look at this church in Philadelphia and we read that the Lord was pleased with them. He didn't chastise them. He commended. And then He gave them this precious promise. Now, we spent most of our time in these past weeks dealing with problems in the churches, and it's a welcome relief to come here and have the opportunity to speak of a promise, not a problem. Now, in verse number 10, there is a look into the future. There's a look at the faithful church at the Lord's return. Now, unfortunately, there are many today that don't know how to claim the promise that the Lord made here. They misinterpret the Scriptures, and they make the Lord's return not as hopeful as it should be, and they don't understand what the day of the Lord will be like for those who are faithfully expectant of the Lord's return. And that's what I want to talk to you about in the message today. Last week, we finished the promise of verse number 8. This is a promise for the church as it occupies until Christ returns, that the faithful church is promised that they will advance the gospel. There is an open door for the church, and this door refers to missionary opportunities. The faithful church seizes upon those opportunities to be a gospel light to a dying world. And whether it's to work in the local community with personal evangelism, or it's to send missionaries to the other side of the world, the faithful church obeys Christ's commission. Now, you see, we must understand that the church exists to reach God's chosen ones. Certainly, it exists for fellowship and the strengthening of God's people. But also, we have this responsibility to reach the ones that God has ordained for salvation. We don't know who they are. Only God knows who they are. And as we blanket the world with the gospel of Christ, the Holy Spirit will call them out and open up their hearts to the truth. Paul explained in Romans 10 that it's our duty to reach people who will, when upon hearing the Word of God, call upon Him for salvation. This is what he says in that 10th chapter. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. There must be a witness or people will never know. Preaching the gospel is God's appointed means to bring His elect to salvation in Jesus Christ. And they will never be saved until they hear about Jesus. They have to be told. And that responsibility belongs to all of us. And it takes all of us because there's so many people in the world, so much area to reach, so many places to go. It takes all of us to do this. The last command that Christ gave before ascending to His Father was that we are to take the gospel to every part of the world. Now this is the great news about that commission. He doesn't leave us alone with it when we obey. Oh, He opens the doors of opportunity. And because the church 
The first church was faithful to witness. The gospel spread rapidly throughout the Roman Empire so that by the end of the first century, nearly every part of the Roman Empire had heard the gospel of Christ and there were churches that were built up within striking distance of Satan's territories. It's no wonder that Satan worked so hard to keep Christians on the inside of the church, within the walls of the church, because he can't fight the church militant. When the church is determined to preach the gospel of Christ and to take his territory, it will. The church that obeys the commission thrives and conquers. They are happy and blessed. And the more people they win, the more they like winning. The more souls that they bring to Christ, the more determined they are to get more. And this is the way that the church survives. The people are committed, and the Lord opens the doors to use that commitment. And we keep on working because there is a promise that one day the Lord is going to return. And one day He's going to reward His church for faithful service, and He'll take us home to be with Him. And we have that promise from God that He'll do this. That day that the Lord comes is called the blessed hope. The blessed church has a blessed hope. They have a good hope that Christ will return. And they look forward to that. And that's what we do. We hope for that day. We never dread the coming of the Lord. Now I want to tell you again, as I have many, many times, that I believe that Jesus could come today. I'm not looking for any pre-appearance criteria that must take place before Christ will come. I'm not looking for a sign that anything will happen in two years or three and a half years or seven years. I believe that Jesus Christ can come today, and that's the reason this text is so important for us. Unless this passage is interpreted in the way that I want to show you today, then we need to give up hope on the, for the imminent return of Christ. And rather, what we should do is to look for some other event, some other series of events that must happen before Christ comes. We look for a sign of wrath rather than hope that Jesus would come back today. Well, you may ask, well, what is this issue that we're dealing with? What are you talking about? Well, it's this phrase in verse number 10 that I ask you to mark. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world. What does that mean? I believe that it means the church will not go through the time that the Bible describes as the tribulation. Now, here is our point. The church has the opportunity in this day to advance the gospel of Christ, and the faithful church of the Lord Jesus Christ also will avoid the tribulation. This verse says that there is an hour of temptation that will come upon the whole world. It will try those that are on the earth, but it also says that the church will be kept from the hour of temptation. And that's the relationship that we want to learn about. What is the relationship of the Lord's church and His return to this phrase, the hour of temptation? I think it's very important for you to learn theological terms. And so I'm going to give you the one that we're talking about today. This is the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. And there are two words that stand out in the description of this doctrine. And those two words are tribulation and rapture. Now, I said pre-tribulational. Pre, of course, means before. And so we're talking about something that happens before the tribulation. So I'm saying that the rapture of the church will occur before the tribulation that comes upon the whole world. 
Now to understand the doctrine, we need to know about these two words, and we need to have an idea of the order of events that will happen when Christ returns. There are many parts to Christ's return. That includes the rapture and the tribulation. There's the millennium and the judgment. There's the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. And each of these, those things has subparts. Now what we're talking about today, what we're concerned about is the events at the very beginning of the Lord's return. And that starts with, number one, the rapture of Christians. The Lord will return and there will be a rapture of Christians. A rapture is not a word that you'll find in the King James Version. At least you won't see it in that form. Rapture comes from the Latin word rapturo, which you do find in the Latin translation of the Bible. And when the Bible was translated from Greek to Latin, this word rapture, rapturo, from what we get rapture, appeared. The original word in the Greek is harpazo, which occurs 14 times in the New Testament, and it has the meaning to remove suddenly or to snatch away. Several times in the New Testament, it's also used for stealing and plundering. But the usage of the word that's most important to us today is its meaning of being caught up, of being snatched up to go into heaven. Now, this is the way that Paul used it in 2 Corinthians 12 when he spoke of being caught up into heaven. And that was either in a vision or in a bodily form. We don't exactly know. But, uh, but Paul was taken up suddenly before he realized what was happening. The same word is used in Revelation 12, verse 5, where it speaks of Christ being taken up at his ascension. In Revelation 12, 5, it says, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now, our concern for the moment is the rapture, this catching up of God's people at his return, when that will happen, at what part of his return that will happen. But the fact that it will happen is undeniable. Now, I'd like you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is a definitive text on this subject. And this is where the word rapture appears in the Latin translation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17. 1 Thessalonians four fifteen to 17. Verse 15 says, For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now there you see it in verse number 17. Christ will descend from heaven, the dead will be raised from their graves, and the living will be caught up. They will be harpazo, they will be raptura or raptured, taken up suddenly to be with the Lord. Paul explained the suddenness of this in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's the suddenness of it. How quickly it happens in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. 
And so there is this future event when the Lord will, will return and the people of God will be caught up to be with the Lord. Now the second word that we need to deal with is the word tribulation. The tribulation upon the world. That's number two. The tribulation upon the world. Now the Bible also says that in the end times there will be a terrible time of tribulation. Jesus spoke of it in Matthew 24. Now if you'll turn there to the 24th chapter of Matthew, he explains what times will be like at the end. And if you want to spend some time perusing the chapter, you'll see that it's a time of wars, a time of famines and of earthquakes. In verse number 15, he speaks of the abomination of desolation. And that's a reference to the person that we know as the Antichrist. That was foretold by the prophet Daniel. And then if you look in verse number 21, Jesus said, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. A great time of tribulation will come on the world that's never been seen before. Now the world and the church have seen terrible times, no doubt. But this time is unmistakably the worst. There's no argument. This is the worst. Nothing like it had been seen since uh, before the time that Jesus came. And he said nothing like it will be seen until this time comes. Now going back to our text in Revelation 3. Jesus said that the hour of temptation will be over the entire world and that people that dwell on the earth will go through it. That's perfectly agreeable with what he said in Matthew 24. Now notice, he said people that dwell on the earth will be in this time of tribulation. And that's also a very important definitive phrase and we've got to determine who these people are that he's speaking of. This is the Bible's term for unbelievers. Now if you see, if you want to see, you can look in Revelation 6.10. We see it there. There's a scene in heaven and there are people that have been martyred for their faith and they cry out to the Lord. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Who must they be avenged of? It's those that dwell on the earth. That's not a mixture of saved and lost. These are lost people that he's speaking of. Now another instance is in chapter 11, when two of the Lord's witnesses are killed in Jerusalem, and their dead bodies are left in the street where they're taunted, Revelation 11.10 says, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So those that dwell on the earth will rejoice that these two prophets of God are dead. So who are these people he's talking about? Well, they're wicked. They're perverse people. They're unbelievers. And this is a time of tribulation for them. This is a time for the wicked who do not believe in Christ. There aren't any church believers in that group. And then there's another place that should grab our attention. This is in chapter 13, in the explanation of the Antichrist and those that will worship him. And in verse number 8 of that chapter, it says, And all that dwell on the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now there's a very clear distinction. Those that dwell on the earth will worship the Antichrist. 
And who will not? Those that are chosen by God before the foundation of the world. These are the elect of God who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. They will never worship the Antichrist. Now clearly, the phrase, dwell on the earth, in Revelation 3, means the same as we see it in these other places in Revelation. And this phrase, dwell on the earth, is a designation for the lost. They will go through the tribulation, the hour of temptation, but not the Lord's church. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell on the earth. So you need to mark the phrase, too, those that dwell on the earth. It's clear from what we've read in Revelation, he is referring to lost people here, not to the Lord's church. Those that dwell on the earth. Now, today's just a quick primer on this subject, so when you have a time, you might want to read Revelation chapters 6 through 19, and there you'll find a detailed description of the tribulation mentioned in Matthew 24. These are terrible events of the last days that the world has never seen before, and the Lord says His church will not see those days. I can't resist, so let me just brief you a little bit on some of the events that are in that chapter, in those chapters. Chapter 6 begins with a rider on a white horse. That's the counterfeit Christ, that is the Antichrist. In verse number 4, there's a rider on a red horse, and that rider takes peace from the earth. In chapter 5, there's a black horse, or verse number 5, I should say. There's a black horse, and the rider brings economic devastation. And then in verse number 8, there's a pale horse, and this is the pale horse of death. 25% of the world's population is killed by war and hunger and torn apart by wild beasts. You go on reading and you'll see there are earthquakes and meteor showers. And then you'll see that there's one-third of the vegetation that's destroyed and one-third of the fish in the sea die. The sun and the moon don't shine. One-third of them are blacked out. That's what we read in Isaiah 13 a few minutes ago. And then those things, those are in chapter 8. And then in chapter 9, there's a horde of demon scorpions that sting people. And they suffer immeasurably. And on and on and goes. This is the time of tribulation. Now the question for us is, does the Lord, or does the church go through that? Is the Lord going to put His church through that terrible time? And just let me ask you, when you read that all of these things are going to happen when the Lord returns, and I tell you that you will have to go through it, will you be anxious for the Lord to return? Or would it be much easier for you to say, you know something, I hope that I die before Jesus comes. And then I'll not have to go through all of that. And so wouldn't you say to the Lord and pray to Him, Lord, please don't come now, just stay away. Let me die as all people die. Let me just die naturally and then I'll, I'll go to be with you and then I won't have to live through that terrible time. Oh, that would be much easier. And so instead of praying for life, when Christ returns, people would cry for death. They would pray for death before He returns. Lord, stay away until I die. But is that the expectation of the New Testament? No, listen to Paul in Titus 2.13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people 
zealous of good works. Now there, he says, this coming of the Lord is the blessed hope. This is not dreaded horror. We're looking forward to it. And John in 1 John 2.28 said, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And then in the end of the Revelation, he wrote, He which testified these things said, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. I don't think anyone would want the Lord to come right away if he knew if they knew that they'd have to go through any part of the tribulation. There are some who believe in a post-tribulational rapture, that is, after, after the tribulation that Christ will come. There are some who say that first you have to live through this seven years of terrible time. Others believe in a mid-tribulational rapture, and they say that you're going to go through half of this before Christ returns. Those three and a half years at the end are worse than the beginning. The beginning part's not as bad, but if we trust the Word of God, it's horrible beyond anything you've ever seen. There is no such thing as pretty good tribulation. So what happens if the Lord delays three and a half years through, or seven years through? Will you look for the imminent return of Christ, or will you look for imminent tribulation? The Bible doesn't tell us to wait expectantly for tribulation to come, but to wait on the sudden appearance of the Lord. Three and a half years of preparation for the Lord to come is not a rapture suddenly catching away God's people. And neither does he tell us to wait for the coming of the Antichrist. Why? Because he's going to come and save us from that terrible calamity that will come on the world. So he doesn't want you to pray that death will take you first before he comes. He wants you to rejoice that you may be alive to see that glorious day when Christ comes. So he tells you to hope and pray that you will not enter into temptation. He wants you to pray that he will come and take you out of the world to be with him. Now you go back to our text again. Let's look at that. Jesus said, I will keep you from the hour of temptation. He says the hour. Obviously, he doesn't mean 60 minutes. Hour stands for a duration of time. For example, in World War II, Winston Churchill spoke to the brave men that repelled the armies of Nazi, Nazi Germany. And he said, let us brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. Now, he didn't mean that Britain spent one hour fighting Nazi Germany. No, this was a long war. A long war, he meant the duration of that. In our text, the hour of temptation is seven years. That's clear from Revelation and Daniel. There will be seven years of terrible tribulation, and the entire world will go through it, but not the church. The church will be preserved from it, because that's the Lord's promise. Now, you see, the Philadelphia church was a real church in the first century. And there was a test that the Lord had for them in that day, at that time. And he says to the church, you're not going to go through this terrible time that's coming. And that church is emblematic, as we've said so many times, of churches in the future, churches that would, that would uh, be 
organized out of that one. Seeds of the church were dropped and they grew into other churches. And here is a promise that Christ will preserve them from another test that's coming. Representative future churches, there's another test coming. There's a tribulation coming on the whole world. The whole world. Not just the little area where Philadelphia was. So there's a tribulation that comes for the entire planet. And the churches of the Lord Jesus Christ will not go through that terrible time. So you can mark Christ's promise. You can underline, underline it. You can pray with confidence for the Lord to come. And that will be glorious, not frightening for believers. Now I've told you this because there are some that will look at 1 Thessalonians 4. And they'll look at 1 Corinthians 15. And they don't see anything that refers to pre-tribulation Nothing to mid-tribulation, nothing about post-tribulation. None of those are there. In fact, the timing of the rapture is not there at all. There is no mention of that timing. So is there some other way that we can know what the timing of it is? Is it pre, mid, post? Is there some other way that we can know? Well, in fact, there is more. There's more right here in Revelation. Now, in the first three chapters, what is the focus of those three chapters? And you don't want to miss this because I wonder if you've been asleep through now 24 messages on this subject. What is the focus of these first three chapters? It's Christ and His church. This is what it's about, Christ and the church. Now if you look in Revelation 1 that sets the stage for all of this in verses 19 and 20. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars of the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches." And then comes chapters 2 and 3, and we've discussed the Lord's church in 24 sermons thus far. This is the church in the first century, and the history of the church throughout 20 centuries. And so the Lord pours church into us. He pours the church into our hearts. What we're supposed to be. How we're supposed to live. And we keep saying it. Church, 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 church. That's the first three chapters. Church, 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 church. And if you haven't seen that, and you think that the church is important, your mind must be floating in Never Never Land. Yes, the church is extremely important to the Lord, and these are His lessons concerning it. Then what would you expect that you would see if the Lord emphasizes the church this much? Well, you would expect to see the church going forward in Revelation. You, you would expect to see the Lord telling us what we should do when this tribulation comes. And you would expect to see Him plead that we would hold out faithful because tough times are coming. The worst is coming and you've got to be faithful, but eventually I will come to get you. But you don't see any of that. After chapter 3, the church is conspicuously absent. It's not in chapters 4 and 5, except as it's seen represented in heaven. It's, it's not in chapters 6 through 19 in that whole discussion about the events of the tribulation. The church doesn't appear again until we get to chapter 22, and that's when the revelation is ended, and Christ goes back to speaking of the present time. So he says in Revelation 22:16, I, Jesus, have sent mine angels to testify unto these things in the churches. 
I'm the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Why isn't the church mentioned again until the 22nd chapter? It's because the most important thing in the world to the Lord Jesus Christ, which is His church, it's not going to go through that awful time of tribulation. The church will not see this hour of temptation. And then here's another important proof the, the church won't see it. Where do you read in the epistles any preparation for the church in tribulation? The epistles are church instructions. I hope that you've read them. Galatians, Ephesians, Romans, Philippians, Colossians, and so on. Letters that are written to churches. Where do you see anything warning the church of an impending tribulation such as Jesus discussed in Matthew 24 and in the Revelation? Oh, it does speak of common trials that each of us as Christians go through. There's a form of tribulation that's common to the church in all times, but there's not a word about the church going through this testing that's described in these other places. We are told to be watchful and vigilant for what? The coming of the Lord. That we're to look for Christ, not the Antichrist. Well, friends, Jesus is in advance of the Antichrist. So you lift up your head and look because your redemption draws nigh. He doesn't say, look because your tribulation draws nigh. Oh, it's always the Lord. Your redemption draws nigh. Well, there's much, much more that I could say on the subject, but I want to give you just one more scripture. I want you to turn to John chapter 14. This is the passage that we often sing in the song, I've got a mansion over the hilltop. And this is a passage that I regularly read at the funeral of a dear saint of God. And I want you to listen to the words of promise from the Savior. John 14 and verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now you see this promise? Where I am, there ye may be also. That's a promise of the continuing presence of the Lord. Now is that a parallel to 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where Paul said, So shall you ever be with the Lord. In John 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. That's verse 1. In 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Paul said, Comfort one another with these words. How much comfort is there, if you were living in that first century, to tell poor, impoverished, persecuted Christians, The Lord's coming, but there's tribulation coming upon you first. And it's going to be worse than you've ever seen before. He's coming back, but He's going to put you through judgment. He's going to put you through the same thing that He puts on who? Those that dwell on the earth. The wicked of the earth. You've got to do what they do. But He didn't say that, did He? He gave us hope. He'll save us from the wrath to come. And so we'll not see three and a half years of it. We'll not see seven years of it. We won't see any of it. Because He promised He will keep us from the hour of temptation. Either that promise is true or Christ is not faithful. He's not truthful. And do you know that if this is not right, 
then you might be in that scene that we saw in Revelation 6.10, and there you cry for vengeance because you have been slaughtered in that time of tribulation because you believed in Jesus. And then what do you cry for? Do you cry for the Lord to return? No, that's not in your mind. You cry for vengeance, just as they did. Lord, when are you going to avenge me of my life being taken by those that dwell on the earth? And so, if I must go through the tribulation, if I must go through it before Christ comes, then I would pray, Lord, please, please, give me a heart attack. Kill me. Do something. Don't make me go through that terrible time. Stay away. Stay away. Don't make me go through the tribulation. Folks, I'm ready for Christ to come now because I'm ready to go now. Right now. So I don't look for any pre-events. And I can say for certain that there has been no tribulation on the world such as Jesus has described in these passages. So if that has to come first, then I'm not looking for Him. I'm looking for some terrible time that I've never seen before, the world's never seen before. In fact, I can say right now that there have been worse times that the world has seen than what we see right now. Just think if you were a Christian living through the Middle Ages. The world has seen worse times than it's seen right now, so if I have to wait until I see worse times, then I can't say Christ can come today. Could I? It makes no sense. I can't trust the imminent return of Christ if that's true. But I do want to say this, that there is a warning. If you don't trust Christ, then yes, there may indeed be tribulation for you. Christ will come, and you won't hear the trumpet. You won't know it. You won't go up to be with Him. And if you should die before Christ comes and you haven't believed in Him, then you'll enter into the fires of hell that are far worse than the tribulation could ever be. There's only one escape from it. There's only one way to avoid tribulation and hell, and that's to repent of your sins and trust Jesus Christ. He will save you, and then you'll live in the blessed hope of His return. Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this blessed promise that we've read today. Lord, we do look for your coming. We look for it right now. We know, Lord, that before I finish the amen of this prayer, that trumpet could sound, and you would be here to take us home. We're not looking for anything else to come before your return. We're not looking for tribulation to come upon us so that we dread the day that you might come. No, Lord, we look for it immediately, right now, a sudden catching away, a rapture of your people. Lord, let's pray for it. Let's hope for it. Give us the heart to tell people that it's coming. Help us, Lord, as your church to be true to the commission, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, because one day you are coming back. Bless your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.